the south Sweet potato pie and I shut my mouth Gone, gone with the wind Ain't nobody looking back again All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Doghouse Podcast <clears throat> Here live on a rainy Alabama day Having a Got out, got our young dogs done, and 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 their basics, or backyard work done. But um, we're gonna come in, knock a podcast out. Maybe this rain will push through, and we'll get some uh, get some watermarks this afternoon. But before we get started, uh, who brings the doghouse? Sullivan Motors, Collins, Mississippi, BS delivers. You know, in the in the market for a truck vehicle, give those guys a call. Uh, G and G Motors up in uh, Kentucky. He's got the Mahindra tractors, the side by sides, and whatnot. And um, Miss Melissa over at Duck Dog Clothing, um, she is um, uh, got the um, Doghouse Apparel. Um, go over and get your stuff there. Wet mutt for the cone bumpers and the mats. And Tetra Hearing, Hear the Hunt, um, coming fresh off a of hunting season. Still using mine, dog training some. Man, when we're out here running blinds and um running these young dogs and trying to run a bunch of blinds and blowing a bunch of whistles, man, that little green monster or that <clears throat> that little short one still burns your ears up. But uh, we wear those things almost daily when running a ton of blinds. So if you're in the market for some hearing protection, Tetra is your spot. So um, Jimmy Rogers, I texted him. I haven't haven't heard from him. Um, we're going we're gonna to roll on and do one today. Got Mr. Lauren here with me and Big Alex. We were out training and – Wet, so we decided to come in. So, what's up, Lauren? How you doing, guy? I'm doing pretty well. A little wet. A little wet. Big mm-hmm. Al, how are you, man? Doing good. Just got back. Yep. What were you doing, Alice? I was seeing Mama. Oh, Gotta good for you. Happy. Don't see the boss lady. <laughs> yeah, the warden. <laughs> the warden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's your first Valentine's together, first, huh? First Valentine's together. And did you get her anything? Well, I had plans on getting her something. I wanted to surprise her, but she ruined the surprise by staying home from work. Oh, <laughs> so I'll have to do something while she. Next time I see her, I got you. I got you. Oh, uh, good. We sure love Michaela around here. So she's a sweet lady. Yeah, yeah. very sweet. Lauren says she can cook too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. She said I got to be careful. I'll be four hundred pounds. <laughs> 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 oh, I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, before we get too deep into this thing, um, the NWTF is this weekend. I'm gonna try to slip off up there. Maybe if you're there Saturday, I'll be hanging out around with my buddies at Rolling Thunder or at Shin Gear, or um, probably maybe over to Tetra Booth some and uh, hanging out with those guys. And just um, I think Jimmy was planning on coming, but I haven't heard. I haven't really talked to him in the last week or so, so I don't know. What Jim's got planned, but maybe um, if you're going to be there, come by, swing by, and say hello. Love to meet you. Um, let's talk a little dog training. Had some uh, some topics sent in via the Instagram. So I guess the first one I want to throw out there is: um, Can a dog be too happy while running blinds? Um, I think the answer is yes, definitely. For me, Lauren, what do you think? Well, it depends on what you mean by happy. If you have a dog that is running blinds at full speed. I think maybe you judge the happiness of the dog by the speed that he goes, sometimes jumping around when he comes back in. But if he's stopping quickly, 
if he's turning and giving you the cast properly, he can be as happy as he wants. I don't really care. It's much better than having that and it's having a slug that walks off the line and turns around and checks his toenails every time he <laughs> blows. So happiness, however, in many, many instances, and this is not a 100% uh, solution to it, but many times what we think a happy dog is a high dog. And those are the dogs that have to be, I guess, drilled more than some of the ones that are a little bit pokey, don't really enjoy it. Like the, I've had females in the past that were fantastic trial dogs. However, they did not really want to come out of the kennel when they started hearing us yelling and hooting and hollering on a tea pattern. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I guess you could say they're not happy. So I would have to say that if you get what a lot of people call a happy dog, well, then you do more obedience with it. You do more sit to the whistle with it. You do maybe a little bit more challenging with that dog to show him that he's not as great as what he thinks he is. So a lot of times, if you get one of those dogs that have high prey drive, you might dis describe that as being, my dog's too happy. But when I see a dog that is going full tilt and the person blows the whistle and he writes his name before he puts his ass on the ground, that's not happy. That's poorly trained. Right. And I have other dogs, seen other dogs, I should say, that, man, they're going 100 miles an hour, and you turn and you blow that little peep whistle, and they stop so fast, you're afraid that they're going to throw their shoulder out trying to dig dirt. And that, I look at a dog like that, and I say, well, he was real trained. He was trained to the capacity that he had to be in order to be able to get that prompt sit. And when you start working on those types of things, it is very, very obvious that a high dog sometimes desi desires a little bit more attention in the training aspect and being a little bit more demanding onto them. And when I say demanding, I mean, you don't take a dog out that has never been taught to sit and all of a sudden say, well, I'm going to fry him on a number seven because I want him to sit. No, no. That means a dog that you've turned around and you've trained him to sit in the walking figure eight, et cetera. Like he's putting his butt on the ground really quickly when you just go to touch him with the whip or whatever. Then you can graduate maybe to the sit with the collar. Instead of having him sit with maybe a low three, I might have him up to a high four. Okay. And in that situation here, um, I find that in the, really that dog will start to obey very, very quickly or better, even though he's what some people call a happy dog. I call a high dog, sometimes a dog that has a lot of prey. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know people say, well, I'd like to see my dog run at half speed on a blind. <clears throat> ah, sure, it's a lot easier. There's no doubt about it. Um, however... It doesn't always happen that way, but you still, a, a, a dog that's running half speed on a blind has to stop on a whistle, and a dog that's running full tilt on a blind has to be stopped on a whistle. Now, one of the things that I will say on a fast dog that doesn't stop on a whistle that quickly, say that he's going away from you and you blow a whistle and it takes five or six or seven or eight feet for him to stop in a straight line. That's passable. Right. I accept that. But the guy that takes and turns and writes his name, big letter J, from one side to the other, and you'll notice they turn most of the time, they'll turn on one side, that has to be corrected. Right. And so he might not be quite as happy after you teach him 
you know, that he's got to sit a little bit rapid, more, more rapidly. He might be paying a little bit more attention to you. Mm-hmm. So happy dog, high dog, I guess you would classify him as pretty much the same. The high dog maybe has to have a little bit more training, uh, a little bit more challenging in some instances. As maybe a little higher standard. That's right. Exactly. <clears throat> I think um, I like my dogs to be happy to run blinds and wanting to run blinds and, and move with good momentum. I think how fast a dog runs is irrelevant to his happiness. To me, the, the happy things that I look for that are red flag to me is, is the dog's tail spinning. Um, when you blow the whistle and he stops, is he focused on you or is he just kind of wandering around, looking around and wondering what his next move is instead of wondering what your next move is, which is relative to what he should be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of signs of being too happy that I really I frown upon, I guess. Yeah, you could, you could say that. However, in a perfect instance like that, and I've had them, uh, when you're doing the force the pile, and all of a sudden you stop, you get into the stop on the dog and they look left and they look right. You know, maybe they've been sitting in the back seat when you ask your wife, is anything coming your way? Uh, so it's a situation the dog shouldn't be listening to that conversation. <laughs> I noticed Adam's dogs jump out of the truck and started mount my female the minute it did. I didn't want him in the back of his truck anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's a situation in which you can th- you can throw a bumper to him, so he'll expect you know that it's something's going to be coming from you eventually, and that sometimes stops that look from one side to the other. But uh, as I say, happy dogs um, <laughs> they can be happy, and they can be what you call maybe not quite made for the field trial game or the hunt test game. It just sometimes takes a little bit longer. Right. So. Um. Sticking with the blind theme there, somebody asked, why single plant blinds? And one time I mentioned single plant blinds on here. What's the benefits of it? Now, are you talking about you only put one blind out? Put No, put one bumper out at each blind. Wow. I guess I can't actually say that that makes a big difference. When we're turning around and we're tra- training a Let's talk about a junior dog that's starting qualifying or a junior dog that you're running blinds with. And you have a pile of bumpers at 75 yards and you ran a short blind. And you have a pile of bumpers at 150 and they're only maybe 20, 25 yards apart. You've sent the dog to the short blind, okay, and he wants to return to that short blind again. And the worst part about it is that there is bumpers out there so if he gives you enough cast refusals and he's fairly fast he's going to run out there and he's going to pick up the blind now when that happens okay i start off because i'm lazy i start off by having the short blind maybe at 50 yards only and i call it the walk of shame the dog picked up the bumper and he wasn't supposed to he was supposed to go buy it i walk out there i don't burn him for picking up a bumper I mean, to say it's a situation, I take the bumper out of his mouth, I back him off maybe about six feet from that pile, and I turn around and I give him an angle back cast to go towards the long blind. And in a case like that, I do not repeat. Listen, do not repeat that same location. I might go and set it up at a 50-yard different location or something like that. I've just told the dog not to go back to the same pile twice. However, 
if I re-ran it again, I'd be telling a dog to go back to the same pile twice. And mm-hmm. in a situation like that, I don't think that the average dog understands that. So the walk of shame. Now, if you're really energetic or you only have one dog, you can turn around and you can put one bumper there. I have done it many a times when I have a bumper out there at, say, 150 yards and another one at 200 yards or 300 yards and one's at shortstop and the other one's at second base that far apart. I will have someone out there maybe hiding, okay, and just putting one bird out there or one mm-hmm. bumper out there. I think that's what they're referring to. So uh, it's it, it depends on the handling ability of your dog, okay? Uh, think of this, people. A dog coming off the tee pattern, you've only sent him to one location, and that is you've sent him to that center pile. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you're doing a cold blind, and all of a sudden he wants to go back to the same pile again. You can't tell him that he's stupid. It's because it's what he's being taught to do. So in this situation, a single bumper on that blind, if you have one dog, fine and dandy. If you have 10 dogs, however, that's an awful pile of walking, you know, out there. And again, when we start graduating a little bit from the dog is doing it fairly well, okay, I can cast him with a numerous amount of casts to get him not to pick it up. I don't burn him. I don't burn them for going for giving me a bunch of cast refusals in there unless they're blatant. I put my right hand up and he goes left. Okay. I will get it so that the dog gets so good that maybe the next day I will put a bird on that on that thing. And I'll pick up the bird. I'll have a pile of birds there. And now I have to cast them off a pile of birds to get out to a long one. I have done it where I will have a tethered uh, live bird out on the long one. Okay, and they get used to being able to go in and pick up that short one, and you'll see they come in pretty darn quick on that long one. But not everybody does it, uh, you know, can have a live bird to train with. So there's many, many angles that you can use. Uh, the thing that happens is a pile of bumpers onto it. I have what we call a seven way. And the seven way is seven different stations, all identified by white posts. At a distance, my furthest one would maybe be about 90 yards. And I turn around and I run the short one, which is maybe about, I'm going to say 50 yards, okay? And I run him to that one. Then when he comes back, I have one, that, that one ran at third base. I bring him out and I run him all the way to first base. I bring him right out of the area because he may be coming off the tee pattern and says, no, I want to go back to the same place. No, 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 no. I'm going to turn you around, and you're going to go completely out of that area. Then we turn around, and we have him. Now I have to pick up the one that's in left field, okay? And he has to run past that one. Well, I might have a little bit of a difficulty onto it, but many a time when you're doing a triple situation uh, in a trial, or in a hunt test, your dog will pick up the go bird, pick up the next one, and then when you got to send him for the long one down the center or wherever it is, and it's in proximity of another old fall where he's already been, that's when he peels back into the fall. Okay, so we can teach him a poison bird, don't go back there immediately, but in the way with what I call my seven way, and the reason why I call it seven way, I've got seven different white posts out there, is that I bring him out of the area completely to show him not to go back to that thing, and then I bring him in and I show him that he's got to go long bird center. And that works, people. You do it time and time and time again. And I would have to say it's a lot better than burning a dog out of an old fall because you've taught him to go to an old fall on the tee pattern. 
And then all of a sudden, we lose our temper. We burn the dog for going there. First thing you know, he doesn't want to pick up a bumper. Then he starts flaring and everything like that. So as amateurs, you've got all kinds of time, okay? Go out there, train on it, and try and teach the thing without using the shock collar. Okay, now, the dog comes in. Here's another thing where you can use a shock collar. He is collar conditioned, everything like that. He comes in and he starts to shake as he gets there or he starts to rattle the bumper. Okay. Then you have your collar on, say, a low, a low three, a two. And every time that he goes to shake the bumper, you say, here, here. Okay. And eventually that is indirect pressure. It almost means in your language, stop shaking that bumper. Mm-hmm. Shaking when they come out of the water is another perfect. I do not like to see a dog come shake out of the water. I like to see a dog come out of the water, sits down, I take the bumper, and then he shakes. Some dogs don't shake, but I will maybe run my hand up the back of them or something like that so that they will shake, okay? Um, <clears throat> I guess what what I guess what they're referring to is when Ray Volk came here one time, he said, I think I got a, a hole in you, in you, what you got going on here, and he said, let's take, we put Jeff in the station and Dennis in the station and hid them. And they came out and single planted orange bumper blinds. And yeah. I had one hell of a time getting the dog to them, like finishing it. Mm-hmm. And I, with the pile of bumpers, I'd get them there and pew, 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 it was really smooth. Yep. Very true. I never um, thought of that. That's very, very true, though. You know, but at but it was that more time, advanced dogs. Um, yep. But one of the things that's good about that is that theoretically, you got to train on boxing a blind. Okay, <laughs> because after boxing a blind at a trial, when you're right in the vicinity, you're 10 feet from the thing, and you give the dog an over to go and pick it up, or some people wave their hand and go toot, 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 and it's like waving a bus down when you missed it, for crying out loud. It's a situation, after maybe three or four times, they don't pay any attention to you. Then you put your left hand out, they go right. They go whatever direction they think they smell something. What do we do in a case like that? We go faster. Then we blow and cast faster instead of sitting the dog down, letting him think a little bit, and then giving him. All of that stuff on that one bumper out there to be able to do it, I think I never thought of it, what Adam is just saying, but I think it's a great idea. Getting that dog to be able to be in control in a very small area. He can't spot that white bumper or that orange bumper because he's used to picking up white ones, and you can maybe box him around a little bit. But... Don't burn them for having a little bit of a problem onto it. Just keep on, keep on. That's right. I don't have enough bird planters in order to be able to do something like that. Right. I don't anymore. That's a luxury I I had at one point in time, and um, we've we've lost them, some up, most of them. But anyway, um, let's move on, Lauren. Let's talk about um, how to build marking ability in young dogs, like a you know, start to develop marking. Mm. Mm. Boy. Uh, I guess that you could start at a thousand different directions. Well, yeah. I mean, how, uh, where's the dog at in training is going to dictate what you're doing on marking. But let's say a, a, a young dog, six, five, six, seven months, will go out on a gunner mark and come back well without a pile of screaming and yelling. Right. All right, so let's take that dog. Where do you start to develop marking with him? Well, what I try to do and what I seldom do is that I try to keep the marks at a proximity in which the dog is going to have confidence. 
most of the time, what happens, and I'm no different, people, you have a young puppy that's four or five months old, and, man, he can smash those things at 50, 60 yards on cut grass, okay? Mm. First thing we know, somebody comes out and says, I'd like to see if I can get this dog to run 600 yards. And the first thing you know, the dog is running at the gunner, especially on the second bird on a double. If you try to keep them into a close proximity and they never get taught to run at a gunner and the person throws that bumper flat and a long ways and into the wind, okay, there's another thing. Why do people, Why is it advisable to always throw a mark into the wind? A lot of people will say, I don't know, be honest, but I mean to say if you throw it into the wind, the dog comes in on the gunner and learns to turn away from it. If you throw it, the opposite way, in many instances, the dog will go in and he will hook around the backside of the gunner and, and find it. So throwing a, something into the wind is much more advisable than throwing it downwind. Because it creates a habit of that dog turning going under away. the arc That's and then right. smelling it and turning it away from turning the gunner. Turning away, turning away. And they, they create the habit of turning away. So to try and establish marking on a dog... And I'll be totally honest with you. It's very, very difficult to be disciplined to do it. I'd love to, as I say, have a podcast and listen to a Bill Hillman and one of those guys. It's just unbelievable to be able to get their dogs to mark. Um, it's a situation in which I keep it short, keep it logical. I don't start challenging out a five- or a six-month-old dog um, to see if he can run 400 yards on a double and stuff like that. Um, I do not handle, try to handle the dog. I never call the dog back out of a hunt area when he's gone into a hunt. I have the gunner help, okay, making sure the gunner doesn't go hey, hey, and toss him a bumper so that he stops, looks at the gunner, and says, throw me another one, please. So I I hate to say this, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but I think a lot of times good markers are born. Oh, no, I think I 100% <laughs> agree with you. And... Uh, you know, they, they make it look so easy. I've got one on the truck right now that at four or five months old, she was pounding marks, okay? Uh, and it, we didn't teach her any different than we did the, the male that is an average marker, okay? We did the same thing. We maybe took it a little bit slower with the, with the male and stuff like that. But she was born that way. She, you know, I can say, oh, I made her and all that. That's crap. I think she was born that way. She doesn't run at gunners, I mean to say. Unbelievable. So keep them short. Get them so that they're used to going in there and finding something immediately, okay? And uh, try try to do the best you can. And I know we're all tempted to see if they can do the 300-yarder. And the 300-yarder is a quick way to teach them how to run at guns. I try to throw white bumpers a lot when they're young to teach them to use their eyes a lot. You know, white white oh, cone bumpers man i remember listening to a a youtube video again i mentioned his name bill hillman um and he said that he always throws orange bumpers i don't know if it's still true today but i think possibly there has to be a little bit of a mixture of it you want to teach the dog to be able to use his nose and his eyes so if you throw white bumpers all the time they use their eyes they might use their nose a little bit but most of them will come in looking around which is very very important I don't think personally that the idea that dogs don't see orange, I think that's a fallacy. It's a wrong. I think if they get used to seeing white all the time, they're going to be able to 
they're not going to be able to pick up on the orange. So I try to mix them up. I just don't put an orange bumper out there when I'm trying to say it for the first time at 200 yards. Okay. Right. I, I would have to say that, however, at a 75 or an 80 yard thing, I will very gladly throw a white bumper, even though put it this way, people, I don't like throwing bumpers that well. I'd much rather throw a bird. Right. You know, so, uh, Orange bumpers at a certain distance um, and white bumpers at a long distance, like putting white tape on a duck or something like that. The reason for that, I try to use them, get them to use their eyes and also use their nose. Right. I'm a, I'm a believer that they have to learn to use their eyes before their nose takes over. Yes. Because yes. if you do the nose first, yes. then they just run around with their nose on the ground. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and they'll go three quarters of the way out there with their nose on the ground. Right, That's another thing. right. So you got to train them to run with their mm-hmm. eyes on a, on a spot, mm-hmm. and and to go into that spot using their eyes. Mm-hmm. And then when their nose develops, then man, it's it's it, you, that's the right combo. But um, I'm sure, Adam, that you you know you've had dogs that have <laughs> come out. Maybe the first time that you're going to throw some marks for them, and they just seem to have the ability to be able to find them. I know oh, you talk about that Woody dog and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. they are, you know. And it doesn't necessarily mean there's another fallacy. Some of these great markers never learn to really hunt. And so those dogs, you can challenge out a little bit quicker. I know we have that young female right now. We'd like her to stay on the property when she's looking for a bird that she doesn't find onto it. And so, you know, we're hiding them. We've done the pull-out thing, you know, the dirt clod drill, using a two-by-four now instead of dirt clod. And we're hoping that it's going to tighten up her hunt a little bit around the gunner. Keep keep chucking in back and checking on the gunner. Don't start heading out at the neighbor's porch for Carnaloo, which is 500 yards away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How about memory development when you start... You know, a dog has got the mechanics of a single mark, and he's marking them pretty good. Um, what about developing some memory onto it? Man, I can tell you that that is the simplest thing to do there is, okay? It's so simple, people don't want to do it because they say my dog can do it. You go stand on your backyard, okay, on cut grass and take white bumpers and start off, you're trying to teach him a double and the dog's only three months old, okay? But he's, you can hold him. You know, the wiggling and the holding and stuff like that. You're not letting him break. You're you're holding him so that he's half-ass steady. And you throw one bumper out, and then you throw another one. You throw one at third base, and you throw the other one at first base. And he runs out, and he picks up the one in first base because he's done that 100 times. Then he comes in, and he looks up at you and says, What's next, Dad? Are you waiting for you to throw another one? But no, you have the big white bumper sitting out there, and you try to get him to look at it. And try to look at it. And you might end up moving up a little bit closer so that he does all of a sudden spot it. Okay? And bango, he goes out and he gets it. He just did his first double, people. Simple, eh? So simple. So maybe the next time you do it, you want to repeat it. Go to a little bit of a different location on your pond, uh, on your lawn, or, you know, the field that you're training in that you can see the bumper from the line now. Okay, now is a great time. Cow pastures are great. And do the same thing again. Throw one at first base, one at third base. He runs out, gets the one at third base, comes back in. Hi, Dad. You, what do you what do you want me to do now? But all of a sudden, you turn around and you're using terminology. Watch, 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 watch. And the first thing you know, he spots that white one at first base, and he runs out there and he gets it. And what we have a tendency to do is that when he comes back with the thing, he throws it up in the air and he drops it. Okay. And what do we do? We grab him by the ear and we slam it back into his mouth. 
That's not the thing to do, people. Because then you're only telling him that when I come back to that guy, he's going to slam that thing down my throat. Okay? And so, really, he comes back to you in a proper vicinity. You're trying to teach memory. You're not trying to teach him to hold on to the bumper. You try to teach him memory. Mm-hmm. And you would do that until a degree that he comes out, he goes and gets the one at third base, and comes in and he wheels to the one at third, uh, first base. And sometimes you'll see that it's starting to really click. He gets halfway back and he starts heading there with the other bumper in his mouth. And you call here, 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 whatever. Okay. Then, folks, then it becomes a little bit more difficult. Now you throw one at third base, you throw one at second base, and you throw one at first base. And you go through the same procedure. He does the one at third base very well. He does the one at first base very well, but he's totally blanked out on the one at second base. Okay, but eventually you work him into it. So then at the end of a week, I can honestly assure you the aggressive dog that really likes it has a lot of bird drive and stuff like that. He'll be look coming in. And he'll be wheeling for every one of them. And I go as high as five. Now, you're going to say they never have to remember five. It's because now I'm teaching terminology. Mm-hmm. I use the word watch instead of the word mark because the way I talk, train to talk to dogs People told me that my word mark sounded almost threatening. So that's the reason why I go, watch, 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 and the tail will waggle. And so I throw five. And when he comes in and turns around with the fourth one and he thinks it's all over and I say, watch, and I see him wheel around, okay, and there's only one bumper left out there, I can honestly say to myself, I have now taught him to remember up to five. And I remember watching the Johnny Carson show one night, and there was a fellow in there with a German Shepherd, and Johnny asked him, how many things can he remember? You know, in, uh, counting to one, two, three, four, five, six, and he said, I can get a dog up to nine. I've never been able to get a dog up to ten. Now, that was a thousand years ago. I presume maybe it's changed now, but I try to get a dog up to five. And that is not easy in some instances because terminology then starts to set in. Watch, watch. And if you do that, then you can go out and it's a little bit easier trying to teach the dog double. But don't forget, he's not liable to take off and go all the way out to the second gun. You might have to have the gun go, hey, hey. You might have to have him wave. You might have to have him throw another bumper. Okay. And eventually he'll catch on to it because there's no such thing as a dog that has any worth of while is not going to be able to remember two. Right. So essentially, you build the mechanics of the multiple in the yard, and that makes it the transition between singles and a double and triple in the field less, you know. I got to go again. I got to go again. Right. Because most of the time, I would say I didn't have a, I didn't have two gunners to help me, so I did it by myself. Right. You know. Absolutely. You can use. You can put a stick man out there if you want to, and try it. So and I have to say one thing to you, people. It's it's so simple when you start breaking it down. And the excuse I don't have anybody to train with uh, is, is something of the past because there's so much you can do without having to have four and five people out there. And four or five people, you're going to take your little six, seven-month-old puppy and you're going to try and challenge out to the guy that's got a master hunter dog and see if your puppy could do the same thing. And that's a big mistake. Right. Um. One thing that somebody said on Instagram, they were referring to the reel that I put on there the other day when we were running from the front yard, and, and the little dog went down, straight as an arrow, got in the water, went across, 
and there was no angles or nothing to this mark. It was just have enough courage to go down and see the water, hit the water, swim to the other side, which is a lot. <laughs> That's for sure. But this little dog went and done it. She done it very well. And he he asked to talk asked me to talk about how we get them to go that straight. Um, well, that's that's a lot. That's a, that's a big. Well, mistakes that I've made in the past. Okay, You're trying to teach them that what you can do is that we start. Don't forget now on that thing. You saw it or you heard about it. And we were backed off about 150, 200 yards. We weren't backed off 150, 200 yards the first time we did it. No. Nope. We were standing there 10 feet from the edge of the water. And we might have had the gunners throwing. As soon as a dog jumped in the water, going, hey, hey, and throwing another one, throwing another one, throwing another one. Then the next time we did it, we maybe backed up 30 yards. Okay. Then we went maybe 40 yards. So what you saw that Adam is talking about was accomplished over a period of time. It's called theming. Okay. We threw a mark across that pond. They had been across there from a simple location and now we're challenging them out. And I say challenge, we're challenging them out to see basically if they would jump in the water and start. And then it's very important to have a good gunner on the other end because the minute you say that gunner's name, he has to be up throwing because a lot of times at that distance, the dogs would jump in the water and all of a sudden start hunting something for sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we say, why do they do that? Well, how many of you have stood out on the edge of the water? Okay. And thrown bumpers out as far as you can maybe 40 yards. The dog runs out there, picks it up, and comes back to you. And you just accomplish the greatest thing in the world. So you're teaching your dog to go 40 yards in the water and then start looking for stuff. It's like coming off, off deer, uh, duck season when you shot a pile of ducks into decoys and the dog runs out there 35 yards and starts checking all over. Well, he does the same thing the first couple of days you train. So you have to, you don't burn them out of that. You try to have somebody help you out of that. But the, what you saw going the long, long distance. It's like my angle entry that I'm training on this morning with a couple of 12-month-old dogs. I got their front feet almost in the water, and I'm sending them out on an angle. And I today I got backed up maybe about 20 yards, okay, and they were doing it with big white wumper sitting out there. So I'm teaching it slowly. I'm hoping maybe by next week I'll be able to back off 75, 80 yards, turn around and send that dog on the same place that I've been training, and he's going to take an angle and get into the water. Okay, and that's, it's not the finished product, or I should say, it's not the idea that the dog did that the first time. The dog was taught to do it, and I think that would answer your question pretty good. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to be misleading as to the fact where every dog that we ran that day got in right at the right spot because they didn't, but um, and when a dog's younger, though, I, when that dog came across the little ditch in the road there in front of the kennel and got headed in that field, I may have Dennis throw another one just to read iterate to the dog i'm headed in the right direction and oh there it goes again and then pile into the water and attack the water mm -hmm. um all that stuff's all about timing and help and that's right and and building momentum and confidence mm -hmm. what's the name of the what's the name of the guy that's got the dog the dog's never seen any never done this before but he goes out and he does it all the time <laughs> what is that guy's name <laughs> Uh, Parker. Parker? Yeah. Well, too bad we should enter his phone number on the phone. You could phone him at 6 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. He comes here the other day with a dog that's never done anything. He made our open dogs look like a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah, I've never done this before, and the dog just goes and yeah. does it. You know? uh, that's funny. Um, so, 
going going straight is from a long distance like that is built over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot more that goes into it than just that, but well, we would just we would just drown ourselves talking about it, you know. Perfect example, folks. Going straight, okay. Number one, you have to have a dog that handles pretty well. Yep. Okay. If you're going to go out there on a long distance. So you pick out, first thing you can turn around and do, you can pick out a crosswind. Okay. Or number one, you run strictly downwind because you're trying to teach them to go straight. And you would start off at maybe 100 yards to teach them to go straight. If your dog doesn't handle, does anybody ever think that maybe you're trying to do a go straight, the dog is starting to fade into the wind? You stop him, you give him a cast, he gives you a cast refusal, you burn him, okay? Now you're no longer teaching go straight. Now you're teaching a dog either to sit promptly or you're teaching the dog to cast promptly. So let's forget about the word go straight. That dog has to be able to turn around and take a cast, okay, and to stay on the line. Now, one of the things that people don't realize, and I can honestly assure you this is going to be a surprise to a lot of you, when you're doing a go straight and the dog gets 10 yards offline before you blow the whistle, number one, you've waited too long, okay, especially if he, cut, if he started to fade with the wind. You don't come up with a great big step and an overcast in order to get back on that 10 feet. You come up with a, almost a straight-up cast, okay, with a step, straight up and a step, straight up and a step. You don't start giving them overs and and angles, big, wide angles and everything like that, you're trying to teach the dog to go straight. So all of a sudden, the dog comes out, doesn't give you that 10-foot cast, okay, that you wanted because he's 10 yards off the line. But when you gave him the cast, he goes as straight as a die. Okay, theoretically, he's just learned to go straight. He's not right on the bumper. He's going straight. It's a little bit the same thing when you're running a water blind with a young dog or an open blind with a young dog in a flat field. And the dog is going along and he's not fading with the wind. He's going perfectly straight, but he's not going right at the post or the bumper that you have out there. And you stop him and you give him a cast to get right onto the bumper like you would in a trial. What have you just taught that dog to do? You've just told that dog not to go straight. Mm-hmm. So this is where we have it. I think Dave Rorm was an individual that I trained with a thousand years ago, okay, up in Ottawa when he came to run a national up there. And he would put out safety bumpers because he said he got sick and tired of people trying to handle to the one bumper that was out there. So he would stretch them out. He'd put maybe 10 bumpers all the way down the edge of the uh, of the uh of the field and when the dog was heading for one as long as he was running straight you didn't blow a whistle so you're teaching that dog to run straight because if you go zigzag 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 you're teaching the dog to run zigzag zigzag okay and that is one of the things the dog is five feet fighting into the wind like you wouldn't believe okay instead of going down and he's fighting into the wind let him go He's fighting into the wind. Now you're no longer teaching him to go straight. You're teaching him to fight the wind. And that is basically one of the principal things about teaching go straight is the fact when he's going straight, let him go straight, even though he's not right on the bumper. Right. And the, and the fact that that I feel like a dog learns from uninterruption, um, the more that they're going and not interrupted, the more they know they're doing right. Yeah. So 
when a dog is moving in a straight line, let him go. Just he may not be headed in the hundred percent the right spot, but let him go. Yeah. Well, I'll throw another thing out there for you. People that do pattern blinds, <coughs> and I know some individuals that do pattern blinds, a hundred yard pattern blinds. They do them every day of the dog's life. You're teaching the dog to go straight to that pattern blind. Great. You're teaching him to go straight. Throw in one more uncapped beer for him and say, does the dog stop on the whistle and does he handle? And you might find out the guy will say, you got another beer. So it's a point that I think it's, we have nicknames for it. And even though I've never met the gentleman, Danny Farmer teaches the dog to handle. Okay. He's not really worried about having him go straight on a pattern field for 200 yards. What he wants the dog to do is to be able to handle. But going straight, teaching a dog to go straight and fighting the factors is a totally different story. You don't necessarily teach a dog to fight the factors as far as I'm concerned. If he's been to the same location 15 times in his life and there's a white post out there or a white pail, you're teaching the dog to run. And that's it. And right. try, try giving him. You know, some people say, yeah, but I stop him there. And then I turn around and I cast into another one. And a lot of times when those dogs come in, first thing that we have to work on, we got to get this dog so he sits somewhere in the county. Because he's so positive that he's going to that white pail out there. You blow a whistle, it's like, you rang, sir? And, you know, <laughs> by the time by the time you've ripped your back pocket out because you didn't have your collar in your hand and shit like that, he's gone 15 feet in the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Anything else on going straight, Lauren, that rings a bell? I, 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 would, I would have to say that dog, to teach a dog to go straight, and I don't think that it's as, as important as what it used to be in the old days. Uh, it's, it's like blinds very important for him to keep a line and stuff like that but in the old days i think back in the 80s you could maybe line if you had a good lining dog you could maybe line 15 20 percent of your blinds that's not the case now mm -hmm. nowadays when they start putting out the 300 yard blinds you're going to get the factor is going to come in and the dog has to handle right okay and this is where you turn around sometimes people say well i like a happy dog the dog that goes 100 miles an hour Okay, and he's out there 300 yards and he's still going 100 miles an hour. He's much more difficult for, to be handled by an amateur and even a pro it's hard than period. a dog that's running at half speed. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have one run at about three quarters on their mm -hmm. blinds. Mm -hmm. It's really what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Like Woody's a little too fast. Mm -hmm. I've tried to put some brakes on Woody, but he just comes out every day. It's almost impossible to do. It's almost impossible to, to to try and get a fast dog to slow down. Mm, he's, ha he's happy, but it's a controlled happy, you know. You know, and people think that he, when he when he lines a blind, people think he's the nicest dog in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. One of the things to remember, people, too, we're jumping a thing here. When you're doing your tee pattern and you've got a fast dog, make sure you really implement the stop and to come in with a whistle. And he runs right back. You put a bumper four feet in front of your feet. Toot. Toot, 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 and you make him come right back home. And I started this maybe about three years ago after I watched a client of mine line a blind and miss it by about two feet on the wrong side of the wind. And judge asked her how far she lived from home. If she wanted to get an early start, she could leave now. <laughs> so now on my tee pattern and when I'm doing blinds, I will let a dog, when I think of it, run past the blind, and then go toot, 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 and that dog had better come here. I don't burn 
on the toot toot toot. I burn on the here if he doesn't listen to the toot toot toot. Good point. Good point. Good stuff. Well, Lauren, I think I see some sun through the window here. Mm, good. Dennis May, all the way, is going to be ready for us. So we better go get to work. Keep your questions coming, people. You know, Adam's great at answering some of those things, and we talk about them, and it helps everybody out because I honestly say when he asked me some questions that people write in about, I say, oh, God, I haven't done that in a long time. Maybe we should go out and do that. So mm-hmm. it, it helps. Everybody's learning a little bit of a, a, a situation here, which is good. Okay? Absolutely. 100%. Got anything else, Lauren? Nope. We'll do another one okay. sometime down the road. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of The Doghouse. We're about to go get to training some dogs. On the roadside, cotton in the ditch. We all picked the cotton, but we never got rich. Daddy was a veteran, a Southern Democrat. They ought to get a rich man to vote like that. Sing it. Song, song of the South.